0: Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. This this morning, we're, we're not going to go directly to Scripture today, but we will get to Scripture, so just have them out and have them ready today. We are continuing our series called Stories, and uh, over the last few weeks, we've really been talking about uh, how every story is really a potential testimony of God's grace and God's strength. And over the past few weeks, over the past three weeks you've had the opportunity to hear different stories of people who have uh, allowed God to change their difficulty and disappointment, their tragedy and their pain into a place of strength, blessing, restoration and healing. And it's been exciting to hear that and be a part of that. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you missed some of those testimonies, uh, they are all recorded, they're all uploaded to our website and made available to you. And so you can go and pick those up. And uh, listen to those and we would love for you to do that. It's just amazing to me how you hear uh, people's stories and you would look at them and you would never think that those things had happened in their life because of where they are today. But the fact of the matter is we all come down the same uh, line and the same journey and the same difficulty and, and we need a God who intervenes in our life and changes, changes our trajectory toward His purpose and His end. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to share another story with you. Am I ringing? I bet Stephen can help me out back there. Share another story of a woman whose life is marked by tragedy, whose life is marked by difficulty, um, but also later on is marked by grace ...and marked by mercy. Um, The woman that I'm going to share this story about... ...was disregarded by those who she did have in her life. And uh, her life was a life that was left with loneliness... life that was left devalued... life that was left uh, underappreciated. And even now, throughout this story that I'm going to share with you... ...she remains nameless throughout the story... ...and only referred to as woman. And so, let me take some time this morning... And share. Do I need to change mics this morning? No, I'm good. Okay. My challenge as I share this story with you is that you would find yourself in the story. Take a few moments, Steve, and, you know, to gather yourself in the midst of the difficulty that the woman that I'm going to share with you, her story, faces. Uh, because I think that, that any time we can put ourselves, especially like in Scripture, when we go into Scripture and we read a story about someone's difficulty, if we can find ourselves in that difficulty then we can find ourselves also in the path of restoration that Jesus provides. We can also find ourselves in the freedom that He offers. And we can also find ourselves in all of the good things that the Scripture decrees for us and explains to us. And so I challenge you this morning to please try to find yourself in that story. This woman that I'm going to share about, she is the youngest of three. She has an older brother. She has an older sister. Are you good? Okay. But even though she grew up with siblings, she really remains isolated and left her own for the biggest extent of her life. You see, when she was just a young child, she lost both her mother and her father. She lost her mother to disease and then she later lost her father in a farming accident. And so she grows up in this household, the youngest of three, really struggling to find value and to find worth because... She has no one really to invest solely into her. This accident, the loss of her mother, the loss of her father, puts a tremendous strain on her brother. He now bears the responsibility of providing for the entirety of the family. And so each day he goes to work and he works long hours. He feels the pressure of the family resting upon his shoulders and the responsibility now to care for his younger two sisters is weighing on him in a big way. The woman in our story actually begins to feel resentment from her brother because of the burden that he has to bear and the older sister as well. Oftentimes he remarks about the pressure that he's under and the burden that they are because he bears this responsibility to take care of them. You know, After all, he had dreams, he had plans, he had ambitions, he had goals. He had things that he wanted to accomplish now in his life, but now all of those things seem to be put on hold because of this responsibility that now lays on his shoulder. I would say to you, I think that a lot of us probably in this room can relate to his plight. We can relate to his journey. We can relate to his difficulty. Maybe for some of you in this room, I know in times of my life that I've had the responsibility of things that I should have never uh, had the responsibility of bearing in my life put upon my shoulders and laid upon my shoulders and, and put at my feet as my responsibility, and I had to bear them out and carry them out. and And you can't help but over time to feel the pressure that way down to you so to such a point that you start to feel frustrated, you start to feel resentful, you start to feel aggravated, you start to feel bitterness. And so we don't judge this brother; we just simply understand the pressure that he's under, the weight that he's under is crushing him. It was never his meant to. It was never meant for him to bear, never his weight to carry, yet here he is carrying this weight. Through pressure, he becomes disconnected from his sisters. Not much more than a provider for this family, rarely seen, rarely interacting With his two siblings, he's forced to work these long hours and tiring days just trying to put food on the table, just trying to pay the bills, just trying to get by, just trying to take care of. So resentment and frustration grows in his heart. Most of that is pointed to the youngest sister, this woman that we speak of. After all, she's too young, too inexperienced, and no one really expects a lot from her. She's just there. Her older sister is another story. She's a hard worker. She actually contributes to the household. But she too, hardened by circumstance, becomes resentful, becomes critical, becomes condescending, becomes jaded to a sense. And so the woman that we're talking about, even in her sister's eyes, she really can't do a whole lot to please her. She can't clean enough. She can't cook well enough. She can't do anything good enough to the standard of her older sister. And so this woman, she grows up disappointing everybody around her, never being enough for anyone around her. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like maybe the older sister in our story? So burdened by responsibility and so weighed down by responsibility that really you just can't seem to connect with the life and joy that comes or is expected to come or we, we preach about coming and, and being a part of our life and it just seems to be crushed out of us and wiped away from us and nothing we do brings us any joy. It just our life centers around work. It centers around responsibility. It centers around the pressure of performing. It centers around the weight of meeting the needs of everybody else around me all the while suffering because my own needs aren't being met. Or maybe you're like the younger sister and you just can't seem to do anything right. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, there's somebody in your life that says to you, it's never good enough. I did my best, but it's not enough. I'm trying to be all that I can be, but it's not enough. I'm I'm working diligently, I'm serving faithfully, I'm doing everything that I can, but it's still not enough. So with no mom to hold her, love her, nurture her, and a sister who only demands of her, this woman in our story, she grows up lacking. She grows up feeling insufficient. She grows up feeling insecure. She grows up feeling inadequate. She has no woman in her life to teach her how to be a lady. No one to teach her how to be a homemaker. No one to teach her how to be a mother someday. She lives in lack from her earliest remembrance. With no father either, she grows up without male affection. Her brother is too busy to pay attention to her. Without a father, there's no one there to tell her she's pretty. No one to tell her that someday a man would be lucky to have her. No one to show her how she is supposed to be treated and what she is supposed to expect. She can't remember the last time that she was hugged and complimented. She can't remember the last time that she was given value from someone. And so consequently, more lack invades her life. More lack of identity, more lack of value, and more lack of appropriate affection. But over time, she begins to mature. She begins to grow up, as time does to all of us. She has no oversight in her life, and so in her teen years now, she has... Never been told by anyone that truly matters in her life that she's valuable, that she's beautiful. And instead, her life is marked by tragedy. It's marked by difficult circumstance. But even though it has been marked by those things, she has a certain charismatic nature to her. She's learned through rejection at a very young age how to overcompensate. She learns how to interact outwardly with people to hide the fears and insecurities of our life. And I think that so many times for us, like this woman, we hide hurt way down deep inside. We bury it because of circumstance. We don't want anybody to know the true us. We don't want anybody to know what it means to be vulnerable, to what it means to be exposed. And so we you learn to overcompensate. We learn to project a certain outward experience, outward personality, an outward way. When in reality, inside, we're really hurting deeply, wounded, looking for answers but not finding any. any. And so we learn instead of feeling rejection and portraying rejection, we learn how to make up for that by just pretending everything's okay. Everything's right. Fears, insecurities, rejection, all of it masquerading as other things. Now in her life, in her teen years, some call her flirty, but she's just desperate for attention. She seems happy. She seems full of joy. She has an infectious personality, but she knows she has to hide the pain if she's ever going to have anyone take an interest in her. Who could love her for who she really is? And so an interest people do take. Mainly men. Women are nice to her face, but she knows what they say behind her back. They degrade her, they call her names, they insinuate things about her character, demean her. She doesn't care much for women at all. After all, all they do is criticize. She spent her entire life hearing the criticism of her older sister and now she has to hear it also from the people of the community. Men, however, are a different story for her. They like her personality. They like the boldness in which she appears to have. She knows that she's attractive and she notices how she catches the eye of men throughout the town as she walks by and goes about her business. She starts to get attention and that attention only feeds the deep-seated need for value and identity that she has resting inside of her. She's never really had affection from a man. Her brother's always been too busy and she can only remember one time holding her father's hand. And the security, the peace, the strength that came from that moment and it's been missing way, way too long in her life. After all, she only wants to be wanted. She only wants to be valued. And so she falls in the trap that a lot of young women her age fall into and that in her condition she falls into promiscuity, buying into counterfeit affection, hoping to fill the hole that has existed in her life from a very young age. She just wants to be wanted. All of us want to be wanted. All of us want to be valued. All of us want to have someone in whose life we're special. Someone that looks at us and is proud of us. Someone that values us for who we are. Someone that knows the truth of who we are and yet still says, I love you. That's all she wanted. That's all she's wanting in her life is just someone who wants her back so she spends more and more time away from home. Men pursue her not because they care about her, but because she's easy prey and easily conquered. The hole in her heart left her weak and vulnerable. She goes from one relationship to another, one encounter to another, seeking the elusive treasure of affirmation, but never finds it. Instead, she only finds abuse, neglect, guilt, shame, Women who once only criticized her and were catty to her now scorn her and call her names. She's regarded as a harlot, although she has received nothing for her offering other than more pain, more heartache, and more lack. The hole, the gap in her life only grows, and her value only diminishes. And so she's convinced now that she's worth nothing. She can offer nothing. She can never be anything. Nothing is her name. Now even the men pay little attention to her after all they've used her up and now she's discarded even by them. Her own brother and sister don't even say anything to her. They recognize their failure in her life but cover it up with even more criticism and more rejection. Maybe some of you even in this room today are can identify with this woman that you've been used up, you've been stripped of your identity, you've been left feeling and believing that you are nothing. What does she have now? She has no one, she has nothing, she is nothing. Her tragedy culminates into a moment. She's been into this moment where she's been used up, cast out, demeaned, degraded, devalued. And so what's the point of continuing this miserable life that she has. So she heads out one day to the outskirts of town where there's a cliff overlooking a valley and she decides that it would be best for her life not to continue on past this moment. And So she makes her way through the middle of town. She walks toward that place of finality. And as she's walking towards that place, she stops... By a water fountain just to get a drink one last time and then there he is. Someone standing there who seems to look not at her but into her and through her. He sees beyond the outer shell and sees beyond just what is presented in front of of him and she he sees to the very soul of who she is and so as they talk he looks past that surface he looks into her soul he sees her condition he sees her struggle his words are life and his words are hope he tells her of a father who gives her identity and value he tells her of a spirit that changes old things into new things He tells her of a home that is not of this world. And He tells her of a God who is a very present God in time of trouble, who's present in the moment and is always just a whisper away. In this encounter, He gives her security. He gives her value. He gives her purpose. He gives her future. He gives her a life, a new pattern, a new reality. He redeems her at that fountain. And now in her life now flows a river of living water and what she's thirsted for and sought after all of her life now springs forth inside of her. Her life is transformed. She begs him to come home to her brother and sister because they too need a new reality. They too need some hope. They too need a new life. And so as she walks to the door with this man, her sister's criticism melts away. Her brother's rejection is lifted off of His shoulders and His burden is lifted up. Their cares seem to dissipate as He speaks to their very souls as well. There's just something different about Him. They see it in the countenance of of their sister. She's changed and they feel changed themselves as just walked into the very house. The brother and sister feel that burden of life, that yoke being lifted off of their shoulders for His burden is easy and his yoke is light. They too have encountered transformation, and now this family's life will never be the same. Martha and Lazarus will never be the same. And as for this woman, as Jesus walks out of the house that evening, he turns to her and he says, Mary, Mary, my child, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I will always be with you. Later that night, as Mary and Martha and Lazarus share their encounter and begin their new life together in a new arena of hope, Mary shares with Martha that she doesn't recall mentioning her name to Jesus. Perhaps he just always knew who she was. Now this story that I've told you this morning, it's obviously a fictional story. We can go back and we can read a little bit about the life of Mary, but we don't really know the full account of who she is even. There's a lot of speculation about who she is. But with all the things that we do know about her, this could very easily have been her story. This could have been very easily her path. And so let's read here from Scripture in John chapter 12. It's on the screen for you in verse 1. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about Mary's life. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was the fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not always have. You look at verse 2 there in the Scripture, and it says that they made him supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then it says, then Mary. If you go back and you look at the gospel accounts of this particular incident, what you'll find is that three gospel writers write about this story, but only one of those three records the name of the lady. For all the other two, they were just known as, she was just known as the woman. But in John's account, he names her. He names her Mary. Now I find it interesting... That John being the closest to Jesus and the one that spent the most time with Jesus is the one that says, look, we can't just list her as a woman. We have to name her for who she is. Let me tell you this morning, church, that Jesus knows exactly who you are today. He knows exactly where you are today. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows your struggle. He knows where you are. But more importantly, He knows who you are. And He loves you for who you are. There are so many people today that are walking through life looking for identity and, and struggling with just finding out who they are. We hear people talk all the time about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to discover my purpose in life. I'm trying to figure out who I am. I've come to let you know today that there is a way to know exactly who you are and exactly what you were created for and His name is Jesus. You'll not find it anywhere else. You'll not find it in anything else. You'll only find it in a relationship Relationship with Jesus Christ, then Mary. Then Mary. Jesus gave Mary value. Jesus gave Mary purpose. Jesus gave Mary a future. And Jesus desires to give you the very same thing. Jesus knows your name this morning. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've gone through. And He knows what to do about it? Verse three says, "Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. and the house was filled with a fragrance of oil." One thing we do know about Mary is that Mary's a worshiper. Mary being a worshiper is indicative to me that even in her younger years before Christ, she's probably charismatic. She probably had a vibrant personality. She probably was very lively even though she went through difficulty and struggle. A lot of that probably covering up pain that's inside of her life. And yet now in her redeemed state, she takes all that was broken all that was messed up, all that was destroyed, all that was di- disheveled in her life. And now she turns it all around into a new identity that Jesus has crafted and given to her. And now she becomes a worshiper because of all that He has redeemed her from. Let me tell you today that if you will take all the pain and all the struggle and all the difficulty that God has delivered you from, and if you will turn it around and pour it out to Him, He will make it into a testimony. He will take your brokenness. He he will take up your mess life he will take everywhere that the enemy has caused you havoc and trouble and everywhere that you felt God and he will flip it around to be a testimony of his grace and mercy and strength in your life what we've heard of the last few weeks is about God taking and transforming broken things and making them new again God taking messed up lives and, and jacked up lives and taking them and making them valuable and of purpose and directing them towards something that matters, not only in this life, but the next life. When when I speak about those things, I look across the crowd, and and I think, what is it inside of us that calls to more? What is it inside of us that is looking for more? What is it inside of us? Is it there? Is there something still beating in your heart today that says, I know there's more for me. I know God has a plan for me. I know God has a purpose for me. I'm praying today that God would bring it to life in you, that He would take the messed up past and He would make it into a prominent future, a future of glory and a future of God's grace and strength, a future that honors and glorifies the name of Jesus. Where would we be without Him? He has fulfilled every longing in in Mary's heart and she gives Him now the only thing that she can. And that is her full devotion and a heart of worship. Everything that Mary is now belongs to Him. She spent her life saving up every penny that she gets scraped together, and now it's all contained in this little alabaster box, this bottle of oil. Overwhelmed with the reality of grace, she forgets about the crowd. My God, what would it do for us if we would just forget about the crowd for just a few moments and just make our way to the Master and say, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care how people judge me. I don't care how people criticize me. I've got to get to Jesus today. I, I'm overwhelmed with His grace this morning, and I've just got to get to Him. And so she forgets about the crowd, and she brings Him the only offering she has available. That's her oil, and that's her worship, and she pours it out on Him. I don't think that she dabs the oil on his feet. That's not the visual that I have in my mind. As I think about this scene, I think she busts that bottle open and she pours. Pours it out in devotion. She pours it out in affection. She pours it out in worship over him. She bends her face to the floor and she begins to kiss his feet. And she wipes his feet with her hair and she worships with purity. She worships with vulnerability. Her hair's in disarray and she doesn't care. Her face is swollen and puffy from tears that she's crying, but she doesn't care. She knows what she was and she knows what she is. And now the truth of both realities have erupted in this moment, causing her a torrent of worship and praise to be poured out on the very person of Jesus. Where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be this morning without Jesus? Where would you be without Jesus Christ in your life? Where would you be had He not come and found you at your particular water fountain? Where would you be if He had not stood between you, your current reality, and your possible end? Where would you be if Jesus had not intersected your path and directed you to another place of purpose and destiny? Where would you be? Today, without Jesus, I think that in church we oftentimes lose sight of where we would be without Jesus. I think in church oftentimes it shows up in the way we worship. It shows up in the way we, we approach even our relationship with Jesus. It shows up in that we forget and we neglect to remember where we would be without Christ. I'm telling you where I would be without Jesus. I wouldn't be here today. I would be lost. I would be separated. I would be in trouble. I would be bankrupt. I would be uh, run over. I would be over with if it had not been for Jesus. Where would you be? It had not been for Jesus. And so maybe, maybe, just, just maybe, it's time to forget pretense. Maybe it's time to abandon pride. And maybe it's time to just work through the crowd and worship Him. Let me ask you this, what worship does He deserve from you? What worship has He earned in your life? What needs to be poured out in worship from you because of Him. I love verse 3. It says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. It's not the fragrance of the oil that fills the house. It's the fragrance of her worship that fills the house. Her, Her worship is infectious to those in the room who have a heart for God. They can't help but be inspired and moved by her act of worship. And so she leaves a mark on that crowd that night. She leaves the scent of her praise filling that room. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are... To God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What fragrance are we leaving behind? What scent is being left behind? What aroma is, is dwelling in the place as we leave the room? What aroma is filling the atmosphere of our existence But what strikes me the most in this passage, also in verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil. Very costly oil. I can't help but ask the question, what exactly was the cost of her oil? What exactly was the cost of the oil that she poured out on Jesus' feet? Because I propose to you that the bottle contained much more than just oil. The bottle contained a whole lot more than just oil, the substance of oil. What exactly was the cost of the worship and praise that she poured out on Jesus that night? We're not talking about money, but we're talking about her journey. We're talking about her life. We're talking about her redemption and her salvation. You know, I mentioned to you in reality we don't know a lot about Mary. We're only left to speculate about her life and her true identity. In this passage she's Mary of Bethany and it's possible that she is also the same as Mary Magdalene. It's possible that she is also another Mary that's mentioned in Scripture from the city of Nain in which Jesus cast seven demons out of her life. We don't know which Mary she is. But I can tell you That what was in that oil jar, that alabaster box, was much more than oil. It was every failure in her life. It, It was every time that she felt abandoned. It was every time that she felt rejected. It was every time that she felt lonely and that no one cared about her. It it was all her past identity that Jesus had taken and redeemed and changed to a transformed life. All of that was contained in that little bottle of oil. And when she broke that open, she broke everything that she was and she poured it out on Jesus, allowing it to become everything that she would be from that point on. No one knows the cost of the oil in your life either, except for you and Jesus. No one knows your journey, truly, but you and Jesus. No one knows your pain, your struggle, your difficulty, but really you and Jesus. Oh, we empathize. And we try to sympathize, and we try to feel what you feel, but the fact of the matter, no one knows what you face, no one knows what you go through except one, and His name is Jesus. And I'm telling you today that no matter what you bring to Him, He'll meet you at the water fountain of life, and He can put you on a new path and a new trajectory. He can change your direction, and He can give you some hope from this point on. The most beautiful of worship comes from a place of brokenness. Mary took all that she had, all that she was, and all that she now is and she poured every drop of that out into this moment with Jesus. I want to ask you, if you would, to stand across this place. I want to ask you some questions this morning as we move to this altar time. As they begin to play this song softly from the back. Where did Jesus find you? Where did He begin to change your life? What has He meant to you? And what does He deserve for you? For the Christian today... Today is a call to worship Him with your life like He deserves. I'm not holding back. I'm pouring all I am out to Him because that's what He deserves. Are you here today waiting to be found by Jesus? Are you here waiting on a moment when He steps into your life and He begins to change its direction? Because I believe that He stands right now between your present reality and your future. And so will you let Him set you on a path of hope and life? Because if you will take all you have, all you were and all you are and pour it out in brokenness before the Savior, your life will never be the same. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the River on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the River, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Berkronet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you oh, my to come friends, experience my life. Live after Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, come to the river.